this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I have got uh, another great uh, guest today, Pascal uh, Ackerman. Pascal is a is an engineer by former training and programmer, and he's a he's a father. He's a gamer. He's a hacker. He's a traveler. He's a tinkerer. He's a pen tester. He's all these things, and he is clearly a security professional focused on industrial control systems now at this stage. We'll we'll get to that part of his latter stage part of his career and how that evolved. Welcome to the show, Pascal. Thank you, and, and thank you for that awesome intro. I, I'm going to have to steal there because I love it. i got to snip that out of the podcast and use it wherever I can. <laughs> please, please be <laughs> my guest. So I always start these shows, uh, Pascal, with the same sort of question, which is, you know, sort of where, you know, what your backstory is. You know, the modern-day superheroes, uh, are, I always like, like to say the cybersecurity folks are, and then everybody has a backstory. So where where do you come from? So I'm, I'm originally from uh, Holland. You could see, you could literally say that thousands of miles away, right? So I was I was born and raised in Holland. I uh, I have an, uh, <clears throat> a master's of science in electrical engineering. And right out of high school, I had to forget everything they taught me in in school uh, with with electronics and circuit boards and all that stuff. They put me behind a PLC with a company that sent me out across the world installing uh, prototype machinery for filling machines. So if you ever had a bottle of uh, chocolate milk uh, in the UK or somewhere in Europe, there's a good chance that, that I commissioned at some point one of those machines back in back in the late 90s. So um, were you, uh, I was trying to remember whether it was you or somebody else, did you ever stick your finger in the, in the, the <laughs> wall to keep it from flooding? Isn't that, wasn't that a Dutch boy? No, I was a Dutch boy. They, so he stuck his finger in the dike to make sure that he saved everybody because he saw a leak in the dike and he stood there for hours or, or overnight until somebody rang the bell and, and he saved a part of Holland. I don't know if the story is true, but it is something that's told a lot uh, around these, these regions. Well, and, and even I mean that that's growing up in America. I for some reason I know that story, so it's sort of funny how that gets that gets into people's heads. So you start uh, right away in industrial, uh, basically. You, you you're, I forget what you what was your degree in when you you went from high school straight to undergrad. And I went to college. I did a master's of science in electrical engineering. Okay, and and, and uh, was there, did you do any employment between that? Because I, mean, I I'm really trying to everybody's got these different paths, and there's people that have all these different orders of things, and I think that's that's been informative to people who might be listening who are earlier in their yeah. career. It's like no, so, all of you in these interesting positions today. Some of you started in very very different ways. So was that high school, college, undergrad, or and then graduate, or did you have some work in between those things? So what, what we do in, in Holland is part of your uh, final year in college, you go out and you have an internship with, with companies. And I, and I stuck around with the company that I, I did my internship with. So they, they, they got me on board and they wanted me to set up a simulation in some software where they could hook up their PLC because normally their, their type of machinery was the size of a, of a flat building, right? Uh, of a multi-story building. And in order to build that up, just to test out your PLC program was just not feasible. So they brought me on board and, and I did some simulation with like temperature, temperatures rising up and, and, and it would, which would control, be controlled by like a valve output on the PLC. So they had this simulation they could test their PLC programs on. So this company was uh, apparently happy with what I did and they, they offered me a job and then they put me on their uh, commissioning and uh, commissioning engineering team. Uh, which was which was putting these types of large machinery all across the the, the world. 
what was all of this stuff networked at that point ethernet no most of this most of this stuff was all standalone or if anything was networked if you could say that it was like a serial cable between an hmi and the plc it was input cards directly to a, a sensor there wasn't even a device net or or control net at least not a, on these machines yet okay not yet all right so you're you were i mean i think if i remember from your story very early programming plc and ladder logic all these sort of things you, you, that stuff you were in the middle of that right Yep, that's yeah, that's that's what I grew up on. So I was a I was a pure controls engineer. They would they would have a basic PLC program to run this machinery, right? But the type of machinery they would ship it off. The machine would be built. That that by itself would take like two two months just to build it up. Steel frames, welding, motors, uh, uh, a big giant chains in there. And and th think about a machine that can sterilize in the fly uh, like forty forty thousand. Uh, cans of uh, uh, soup, like Campbell's soup, for example, 40,000 of these cans an hour. So this was a big chain that would go from steam bath to steam bath, cooling, and, and then that whole process would sterilize the soup while it was in the can. So the, these type of machines were controlled by these PLCs, and they, they would ship them out with a standard PLC program. And I'd, I'd be shipped afterwards once the machine was up and, up and running, and I'd be fine-tuning the program and making sure that it, it performed to its uh, best abilities. And I know you had a series of roles at different companies, and this is sort of the direction you went, right? Adding efficiency to these things, adding, uh, uh, you know, new new uh, deliverables. You know, I, I, I remember reading somewhere in your bio about overall equipment effectiveness. I mean, <laughs> oh, uh, you're getting a little bit ahead of the, the game. So, the, like I said, these machines were being installed across across the world, and at some point, it ended up in, uh, I think, Mount Crawford, Virginia. Is, is, and it was my first time in the US. And this company bought like six or seven of these machines. And they, and they, at the end of the project, they said, okay, we're not sure what to do, how to maintain these or, or even how to troubleshoot them. Are you interested in, in moving to the US and coming to work for us? And I was dating my uh, then girlfriend, now wife at, at the time. And, and we decided to make the, to make the dive and, and we moved to the US. And that's, that's how I got uh, uh, abroad. Uh, stuck around with that company for about four years. They ended up putting me in Los Angeles for a while, and it was a, it was soul crushing. The the only good thing I think California has going for it is its weather. It's just it's too busy for a for a guy like me. I I like my space and I like I like my quietness every once in a while. But did did that, and then they they shipped that. Well, no, they didn't ship me. My next job was with Dairy Gold over in Seattle where I was on the IT OT convergence team. So uh, they needed somebody who could do OT projects like installing uh, production lines, doing PLCs and all that stuff. But they also needed somebody who could tie that to the IT side of the, of the business where, because they wanted to get information out of these, out of these production environments. And that's you're where talking, OE- You're talking 15 years ago, just to give context to OT con IT convergence in OT systems, you're talking more than 15 years ago that you're doing. Yeah, I'm, talk, I'm talking 2005. Yeah. So yeah. We, we were we were doing the cool stuff back in 2005. Is security a discussion uh, at that juncture in all? No. Honesty? No, I'll I'll be very honest. I've I've done some things. I sometimes I'm thinking I should go back and see if that if what I did is still <laughs> is still connected. Because yeah. what I know now about security, I would have done things differently. But we had to make it work, right? They wanted to get these they wanted to get these reports out of it. So I, I made a, a homegrown OEE overall equipment efficiency system. It was basically a, a SQL database with Microsoft SQL 
server reporting services, just looking at, okay, this particular machine is, a, is, is capable of running 300 bottles a minute. And we've been seeing 250 of them. So you're only running, what, what is that, 75, 80% efficiency. And then I would pop up like a, a questionnaire with, with, with the operator saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, that's, that was the first. And then his comments would be the reason for not getting to the efficiency uh, numbers. So in the example right here, when people talk about how we've ended up where we're at, this is it, right? It, it was individuals in various places all over the world looking for, ah, uh, you know, like, oh, wait, if we do this and we take this data over here, we can be better at what we do. That, that's where it all, that's where it comes from, right? I, I remember the first meeting I presented that report because it was a simple report. It was like four KPIs on it, like like yeah. production line, speed, efficiency, and then and then just some comments from from the operators. And people were just like, "Where has this been all this time?" Right? And and from there, sky was the limit. Budget opened up, so I ended up using uh, Rockwell's uh, uh, factory talk metrics, I believe, what might have been called different, but it it would it would use like a slick interface to tie to all of these same KPIs, and 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 it would in the background it would create all these reports, and it would be. Uh, it would be a, a, a customizable reports and all that stuff. So yeah, but, but the initial was just Microsoft SQL database and some some elbow grease to get there. Do you remember uh, when when in this past we're talking uh, 2005? There's there's these great benefits to this data and sort of realizing what's happening in real time. Do you remember when security or or, or any sort of risk was brought up by anybody or was a first discussion either then or was it some years later? When, when did it intersect? Because obviously it's taken over your life, but it wasn't there at that moment. It comes somewhere. So I, I, so I did, I was in the meantime getting curious about how this all worked, right? Be, putting putting the production network uh, on the same switches on the same VLAN as the rest of the uh, of the business network with people going to the internet. So I, I did get curious. I started reading up on it. I started playing with, with Snort and with Asset back then, which was an interface for Snort. But I never anything serious until one morning, I think this was 2008, maybe 2009, I, I got called in to work and they said everything was down, every single, plant of theirs of the 13 plants they had was infected with a with a worm virus and and I I, I still remember the executable name it was u.execute u.exe which was propagated funny enough by their antivirus solution they had at the time so some disgruntled employee within the, within that antivirus company had created a worm that they would propagate over the uh, uh, update mechanisms of of the antivirus solution so and we're also talking about another thing that's hot today supply chain there you go. Yeah, you ne you never know where these things come from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they they called me in and they said, "Who's got who's got some experience with with doing uh, security measures?" And I said, "Well, I've played with Snort, so I got put on to the the monitoring effort." Uh, you are an expert. Go for it. <laughs> go for it. Here's a tab. Here's an administrative account. Go find what's going on on here. And and. And I gotta, I gotta admit, I I failed miserably at it because I was overwhelmed with the amount of data. We weren't, we weren't looking at the right stuff. We weren't capturing it stuff. The the, the snort rules weren't fine tuned, so we didn't find anything. But I spent about seventy two hours straight. I I think I slept in the in the server room at some point for a couple hours. But that was that was the best time I had anyway. But. At the end, we decided to bring in the the real expert. There were some some consultants from the Seattle area we brought in, and they helped us find this and eliminate this and, and get us going again. 
I was hooked to to that kind of lifestyle. The way they came in, they hooked up the laptop, they had the right tools, they had the right terminology, they, they knew what to do. And I, I started asking questions. Hey, how do you get here? What do you do? And they, they put me onto the right software, to onto the, aimed at, towards the right certificates, what to read, what to learn and stuff like that. And that changed that changed my direction. That That is the moment that I thought to myself, okay, <laughs> This is, I'm going to change my career path. And I've been studying ever since. Uh, got my CISSP. Actually, I started with Network Plus, Security Plus, Certified Ethical Hacker, uh, CISSP, and then CCNA uh, eventually when I joined Rockwell a couple of years later. But that's, oh, that's the moment. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's such a great story because that's that, that's that you can just pinpoint it. And some people can't do that. They're like, well, it was around this time. But you've got some some like a thing happen, and here's what happened. And it happened to be a supply chain, you know, issue as yep. well. I love it. And we'll come back to Rockwell, where your where your title. I mean, that's where you start of security in your role. Um, Correct. So you're on a glide path, and you're you're, you're taking all this information. And we got you know we've got all sorts of listeners to the podcast from entry level to to peers who are going to be just ah, I didn't know past I didn't know all of Pascal's story. I mean, we hear all this that people are finding it interesting. But when you think about the people that are entry level or that are that are earlier in their career path. You know, they're asking a lot of questions and you mentioned right away, you said, okay, I'm doing all this engineering stuff. And I started getting some studying and getting some of these certifications. So that's a hint to the, the pathway that you you marked out for yourself. And people are asking, should I go get some of those certifications? You know, what's the value of those? Uh, you know, uh, how, how does someone, and we've got engineers who want to get better. They want to specialize. They want to become uh, part of the cybersecurity for OT, you know, workforce. But they're, let's say they are a traditional engineer, um, you know what? What advice would you give them? So my advice would be to to yeah pursue pursue some certificates, right? Especially when you're in the controls field and you have to you have, and you're looking at maybe soon or a couple of years from now you want to have these conversations with a recruiter or the companies that that looks at you for wanting to hire you for a security job. Having these certificates tells you that tells them that yeah you've worked on it, right? And and you've spent the effort to to, to studying it. So. And I argue with a lot of people about this. I think from all of my certificates, the Network Plus and the Security Plus were the most prolific ones for me because because they opened up they opened up so many uh, secrets basically. Because before I did Network Plus, I didn't really know how networking worked. Right? I knew I knew you put a couple of packets on your switch and they they would magically appear on the other end. But yeah. you do your Network Plus. It's not deep dive, but it, it shows you how how um, from a, a perspective how this works, right? You get you get your MAC addresses, you get your packets, you got you got your IP addresses and all that stuff. It just opens up uh, the world of networking for you. And you're not going to be an expert afterwards of it, but at least you now you know the terminology. You know where to go next with that. Well, every one of these interviews has had at least one golden nugget. I think that was your your first one right there. That is. Really good advice. The, the understanding fundamentals of networking comes up. Other speakers, other people in the past, I've heard this. I've heard people talking about it, saying if there's one thing that people really need to come to grips with if they don't already have it, is understanding the fundamental uh, networking, uh, perhaps uh, sort of the, the, the layer model and all these sort of things. Uh, because then then that's a foundation, right, that you build a bunch of other other knowledge bases on later. Yep. And even even if you're not looking at doing a security related job later, I think any controls engineer needs to know how networking works. Back back in the day when you had only, all you had was control net or maybe even some serial communication, you could get away with not knowing networking. But nowadays with everything going to Ethernet, it's, it does it's you just have to know it. And and honestly, I think I think once you've done network plus, 
that would be my first recommendation to go with. Once you've done Network Plus and you love that stuff, you think that's what you're interested, go for CCNA because because most most uh, networking gear out there is either Cisco oriented or based on Cisco uh, CLI, right? So so the CCNA will get you to the next level. Why does this packet get out of my? Uh, why and how does this packet get out of my subnet? And and where does it go next? And how does it work on the internet and all that stuff? It makes sense. And you said another thing that's important. You you said that the that the I, I, I forget the exact words you used, but it, um, correct me if I'm wrong. There's something about the certification doesn't doesn't say you're an expert, but it shows no. that it shows you spent some time. It certainly differentiates you from someone else that doesn't have it. And look, if if you if you've got ten years of network management and network uh, uh, experience behind you, then then a, then a network plus certification is not going to help you in in the next conversation. But if you're a controls engineer who has hooked up some PLCs and who has made things work right with an IP address and maybe even a, a static route or two, having a certification like that will 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 absolutely show that you're you're willing to learn and and that you've done your due diligence for that. Yeah, awesome. I think that's that's a great recommendation. Um, so let's keep going. Um, so you end up at Rockwell, and this begins the pure like you start focusing on cyber at that point, either right away uh, with your first role there, or did it become that? No, I, my first role. So I got I got hired as a commercial engineer in the network and security team because I had written a white paper or two on IDMZs. I don't think I called it IDMZ when I was working with Dairy Gold. And I had actually sent those off to Rockwell for approval saying, because we had we had close relations with them because there was a Rockwell shop across the board with Dairy Gold. And they, so they, they knew I had some uh, some knowledge of IDMZs and that's actually where they hired me into uh, on, on their commercial engineering team. If, if you're not familiar with, with the, the, the Rockwell's commercial engineering team, they do like PR work, they do like uh, publications and stuff. And one of their publications is the Converge Plant White Ethernet uh, series of documents, uh, design documents, white papers. So that's a, or the CPWE for short. So that's a Cisco, Rockwell and Panduit effort where they basically take uh, uh, the best recommended network architecture. They put it in a lab, they test it out, they run convergence testing, they give you numbers, and then they, they write it up and they publicize that on, uh, on each website, each, uh, each of the three companies' website. So you can go out, you can download this, and you, you build a network the way they, they specify it, and they can, they can almost guarantee you that your convergence times and, and your, uh, your throughput and all that, and, and, and all of that is, is confirming their, their numbers. I don't know if you if there's anything else you'd share from that era. I mean, you've got the Rockwell years, you've got uh, you know the Threat Gen years, you've got Ernst and Young, you've got your own consultancy, I think, or business entity. Yep. So yeah, I I, I just I grabbed onto a a URL. So in industrial cybersecurity, the expert. I just I just like that. It's I know it's a mouthful and it's probably really hard to to navigate to, but I had to grab onto that. I've been using that to uh, to promote my books and and to get some work done. Yeah, let's talk about, um, not to keep segueing to other segues, but I've got this book from you. People are listening just to the podcast. They can't see how thick it is. I'm turning it around if you're watching the video. But this is. I know. And, and it was supposed to be another 200 pages thicker, actually. But Peck Publishing called me or they, they emailed me at some point. And they said, we can only print up to 850 or 860 pages. So I, I had to drop 200 pages out of that. So there's, there's actually a company github repository where you can download two more 
chapters. So the total count when I was done was like 1,060 pages. Yeah, it's a hefty tome. Talk about how this came to be. And I know this isn't, you know, this isn't the only book. And, and it's not, you've, you've also done editions of these things. So it's an evolving. Again, I, I keep saying this. And I wish Peck Publishing would have listened to me and, and called this volume two. So... So maybe I should back up for a minute here. So within Rockwell, after I I had written up about the IDMZ within the CPWE team, right? And uh, there's publications out there. So if you if you look up traversing the IDMZ uh, CPWE, that's that's the publication that I I put my heart and soul in, and I worked with Rockwell to to get that out there. But after I did that, I I wanted to get hands on, and I wanted to start installing these kind of IDMZs with customers. So I joined the network service uh, network and security service team within Rockwell, which was basically the consultants within the company. They go out, they, they go to customers, they discuss what the needs are, they look at their architecture, they, they design the IDMZ, and then they build them as well in, in, in most cases. So I, I spent a couple of years with them, but one of the first years I was doing that, I ended up in, in Mexico at the pool, I remember, and I got, I got a LinkedIn message from Peck Publishing, and they said, hey, we're looking for a, a cyber industrial cybersecurity expert to write a book for us. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I know a little bit of industrial cybersecurity, so let's do that. And they, uh, I, I got a book deal with them, and I, I wrote the first edition, but I honestly call it first volume. Uh, basically, I, the first volume is more geared towards how to set up your security program, how to get from zero to hero, getting everything installed from architecture to IDMZ to finding the right uh, framework, uh, security framework to, to assess against and all that stuff. So that was the first edition that, that came that I wrote in 2015 or 16 somewhere. Second edition or second volume came later. Pack Publishing said, we wanna, we wanna revise this. We wanna get into a second edition. I argued and argued to make it a second volume because if you look at, at the content of it, this book is more towards monitoring the current state of your security posture. So it, it does go back for one or two chapters just I, just to, to point out what an IDMZ is, what a proper defined architecture is, how to put like choke points for uh, for monitoring in there, just because that is necessary to follow the rest of the book. But apart from that, it's about security monitoring, it's about threat hunting, it's pen testing, it's it's blue team, it's red team, it's everything that I would consider you do to make sure that your security program is, is up to snuff. So those are things you, you did not address those in the first volume. I might touch on the subject, yeah. but not not as detailed as in the second volume. Yeah. So it's a companion companion book, and I didn't realize that because I didn't I don't have the first one. So uh, that's that's interesting. They belong together. Is 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 more or less what I'm picking up today. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a that's a good industrial cybersecurity by Pascal Ackerman. You know, you can find it on Amazon, other places. So yeah, if you're listening and you want to uh, get some some great content there, you also have another book up there, Hacking uh, Exposed. Were you part of that? No, that was that was Clint. That's uh, okay. I know there were three or four authors on that, and I wasn't sure. I, I was sort of referencing my other books up there, but yeah, you had your hands full with this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, with especially with the author. <laughs> but no, actually, that book, uh, that book was a great inspiration for me for uh, to to write my first book or during the first book. So there, there's a chapter at at uh, because I couldn't say I couldn't say it any better. 
I, I almost I almost copied and he and Clint likes to use that a lot against me. Uh, he says I plagiarized him and I probably did, but I use a lot of his material because it just made sense. It's the whole way of of doing the risk assessment, the getting to a risk score, and and all of that. It, it I couldn't have told it any better, and and I use a lot of that in in my first volume book as well. Yeah, and that's a good segue. You went from Rockwell to to working with Clint at Threatchen. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, so when I wrote the book and I, I had I had reached out to him and I asked him if I could use some of his material, he said, "Yeah, as long as you can work for me." <laughs> it's, I still have I still have that LinkedIn uh, message from him when I when I contacted him and hey, can I can I use some of your book material? Yeah, but you have to come work for me. And I I didn't say yes at first, but a couple of years later when I was in the area doing a project, I'm like, hey, you still here? Let's let's go have uh, let's go have some dinner and discuss future and and he offered me the position that I had with Trejan. Uh, I love it. So I, I, what would you say about sort of what you were doing uh, there at that part of your career? So Trejan Trejan became became a company based around a game that they developed. So they yeah. they had cybersecurity as gamification. It's a fantastic way to learn how to uh, do red and blue teaming. Uh, without actually having to even leave your desk, right? It, it's all in, in the game. It's all nice, and it's all really strategized way of of doing these difficult topics. But in order to get, in order to to start his business, he he still had contacts with several companies, and they were pinging him for services, for assessments, vulnerability assessments, uh, threat hunting, uh, architecture reviews, and all that stuff. So he needed somebody to help out with the services part of the business. And, he, and that's what he put me on. So I, I helped them out uh, on, until basically until they could stand on their own feet, until their, the, the game itself was uh, profitable enough not to do services again uh, or anymore. Yeah, if anybody's listening and they want to know more about Clint, and uh, I, I, he was a, a guest on the show as well. I was just looking it up uh, in November of last year, episode 15. Um, and yep. so you dive, dive deeper into that. So uh, then you went to Ernst Young. You know, I, I look at your path. It's like all these sort of industrial companies working on the equipment. Uh, you know, then an OEM, then a smaller company providing sort of specialized services, then one of the largest consulting companies in the world. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge. You're seeing the apple from a lot of different uh, a lot of different sides. And yep. how would you, if you had to sort of talk about that part of your path that you've been at all these different aspects, how useful has that been to, to where you are today and, and your thought processes today? It is, it's been very helpful for me because I've, I've sat on every single side of the table, on top of the table, under the table, left, right. I've been an OEM vendor. I've been, I've been an asset owner. I've, yeah. been, I've been with the company that created the PLCs. I've been with the company that has used the PLCs, so, uh, which I think puts me in a unique situation that I, I can articulate and I can talk with just about anybody in, in uh in the production environment, so I can I can go out and talk to people on the production floor and figure out what they like and dislike about their HMI software. I can sit with a C level and explain to them why they need to have a, a security program in the first place. Right? I think I think that's that's really valuable, and and I wish everybody could follow that path, but it's it's really difficult, especially if you're not starting in the controls engineering field, to be able to get to uh, to go into a plant and and program a PLC. That's <laughs> Unless, unless you find just the right position, that's not that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I think you're touching on the other issue, like where do security people for our sector come from? And they come from different places. I think our statistical average, our research at CSA would say that there's at least a weighting towards engineers 
learning the IT and cyber things later in the career, but there clearly are IT people coming to this, uh, coming to the table. Any recommendations for those folks that someone who is in IT or maybe they're maybe they know cybersecurity pretty well, but don't know safety, reliability, resiliency, uh, ladder logic, PLCs, that's all new language to them. You know, where do they where do they start? We clearly don't have enough people. So we want people to come from wherever we can get them from to some degree. What what advice would you give those individuals? I would give the advice to, to really work closely with the controls engineers, with the operators and, and figure out what is the best not the best, but the most convenient way to add security to an already a full plate of, of chores for, for your controls engineers, right? Because uh, they can probably help you figure out how to set up your switches, how to get architecture to a way that not only allows for security to be bolted on, but also for resiliency and in a way that it doesn't interrupt your production too much, right? Because on, on the IT side, you're often blessed with the fact that everything is is redundant and and there's not a much harm behind shutting down a, a database system that is backed up by by a redundant system as well but on the ot side oftentimes if you shut down a switch that that uh, that a plc relies on that could be the end of a, a production shift that could be the start of a really bad weekend for somebody who has to clean up uh, uh clean up the mess afterwards so it's and it's it's tough too because a, a lot of OT environments are heavily using IT equipment nowadays, which I think is also a good thing if you if you think about it, because an IT-centered security engineer or network engineer can now more easily deploy their skills on the OT side. But I I would urge to work closely together with the people who know how the control systems work to, to make sure that you're not breaking something. And that, while you do that, you learn a trick or two uh, on on the site. Yeah, it's a it's a it, 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 we're, we're certainly facing a, a point where people are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, and it's about it's about it's about teamwork, right? I mean, that anybody coming in saying from our side, there's there's still so much dysfunction in some of these companies that amazes me. But it is because of things you've sort of indicated coming in and, and inadvertently making uh, causing other problems by 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 knowledge deficiencies. Yeah, and, I, and and I've I've been lucky enough again to be on to have been on both sides of the equation. Like when uh, when I was at, at Dairy Gold, for example, uh, when when I was I had my OT controls engineering head on and I was working on OEE. One morning I come in and they said we can't pull up this data for this particular production line. And I go in and I go to my regular uh, server, right, my database server, and I try to log in and I get a I get a disconnect or, or a, I cannot find this IP address. And I, I look at the, the VM infrastructure for it and somebody had deleted the entire server. So it was just gone and, and no backups, no nothing. So uh, it was just gone that somebody on, on the IT side had done that. But the IT side was sitting miles and miles away in, in the headquarters and they had they had gotten a task to say, okay, this particular server can be deleted. I think I think there was like a typo, or maybe they misread it, and there was one number off in in the server name, and they deleted the wrong server. So knowing knowing that, and then switching to the IT side and, and trying to provide uh, uh, security measures or, or trying to provide that, I have those kind of things in my backhead, and I know how bad of a day I had to to have to rebuild that server. Yeah, it, it seems to me that gaining some knowledge, teams are going to have some component knowledge, different people holding different pieces. Uh, and then working together to sort of have this well-rounded picture is 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 part of the 
future success. What what have you seen in team formation, cross-functional teams, you know, in, in clients? And you've been in lots of different environments. You know, how are we doing on that? If you had to give a report card on sort of everybody working together, engineers and IT people and security people, are we are we making progress from your perspective? Absolutely. I see I'm seeing lots of progress where where it used to be one versus the other, right? IT versus OT. I I'm seeing way and way more combined efforts. And honestly, the companies that do best and that are most successful are the ones that have a combined IT OT team where people are knowledgeable at least on both sides. They might be specialized in one or the other, but they're knowledgeable on both sides. They sit together, they they discuss together, they they work around each other's uh, production schedule and stuff like that. So those are the ones that are the most successful because they, there's open dialogue and people are just they're not afraid to ask questions and to approach stuff. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. So if you needed to go back, or you were let's say I, I could uh, could set up, you could go back and talk to yourself, you know, 20 years ago. Any any words <laughs> of wisdom that you would share with younger Pascal? Yep. The one thing I would say is, is start concentrating your studies early on. So so because I was interested in so many things, I liked I liked uh, network security, I liked forensics, malware uh, analysis, uh, hacking, threat uh, hunting, monitoring, packet capturing, all that stuff. So I studied everything. I went really broad up front. I I wish I would have narrowed down early on and and stuck with with a particular subject. That's if people ask me what should I do, that's what normally what I figure out what you like best. Do you want to be a defender? Do you want to be a attacker? If you want to be an attacker, what what do you like? Do you like exploit development? Do you like living off the lands or, or or whatever that looks like? And then start focusing on the technologies for that particular uh, part of your interest. So is that uh, let's unpack that because I think that can be another one of these sort of golden nuggets, um, you know, that we've divined out here from you. Is that because there's so much to know in every one of those, let's say just those are slices of this problem area or opportunity area. There's so much to know and, and it makes you a more unique ingredient in this human workforce chain when you become really, really deep in one of those areas versus broad. I mean, there's a role for broad, right? Um, yep. Because you on all these things, but you, you, so what's behind your comment? What, what do you, what's the advantage of really going deep on something? It's just, so it's more for focus, purpose for, for me it would it would have been if i if i would have focused on one thing i would have been uh, uh way further with my studies like uh, i i found out like a year ago that my interest is really in in network packet capturing hardware uh and manipulation pen testing and and more specifically in like the hardware side of it so and i, I hadn't dug into it too deeply yet because i was too busy catching up on everything else and, and buying buying books and never reading them on every other subject I, I mentioned but uh i have decided to start concentrating more on the pen testing and particularly on network pen testing and on the hardware iot side of, of things and uh, it just it just makes for an easier use of, of my spare time. It, this seems like a good segue to a question I, I sometimes ask uh, later, which is if you were looking ahead at exciting areas, because we get this question too. People are like, well, if I were to specialize, you know, it's it's obvious in hindsight where you could see some inflection points and say, like, gosh, it would have been great to know all about that because you'd be really in demand later. You, you know, you'd be on the cutting edge of something. You know, is that today? Is that um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, uh, blockchain? You know, are those going to be you know exciting emerging areas? Uh, where would you would you tell someone if they were going to pick one of these you know your, to your point specialties to focus on? 
are any more exciting in your prediction, exciting in the future than others? I'm biased, so I don't I don't really see the benefit of AI and, and machine learning in uh, the industrial cybersecurity realm yet, right? Except for the parts where, where you actually have physical IT equipment still sitting in there, because everything that works on the IT side works really well on, on the OT side as well. But if you go to the lower levels, right, within your uh, Purdue model, you look at you look at those lower levels. I don't see AI really being beneficial quite yet. What I do see is uh, in the in destroyer, in destroyer two, that kind of technology coming out, having having to worry about buying a module and it being intercepted and and having it ha- have some sort of a uh, uh, an additional chip that can talk. Uh, all the the right protocols on your network and start sending commands without you ever really figuring out where it came from, stuff like that. I I think that maybe that stuff is already out there, but that that would that is the exciting stuff for me. That's where I want to be. I want to be able to to do it and to figure out if if there are modules, if there are interception uh, uh, people are intercepting and, and and modifying our modules out there. So supply chain is hot topic right now. Yep. And- you're talking about right is that our stuff has stuff inside it made by somebody else and that can sometimes have stuff in it made by somebody else and that can have open source library made by someone many someone else's all in this thing we say oh we've got this end product who all made things where did it all come from that's that's that is a cutting edge area where there's obviously effort underway and new companies uh, working to address it but that is an area where somebody could be potentially on the forefront of something And, and i don't think we can solve the supply chain uh, spaghetti loop, right? Because there's always going to be one part that came from a country we don't we don't expect. It's really hard to outsource or, or not even outsource to insource every single component within within a device and still be able to sell this for a decent price. So companies are going to find ways to get cheaper uh, equipment, and it's it's really it's it's almost impossible to trace back every single component all the way back to its origins for every single part that's that's in a in a controls device. So uh, I think I think where things will come in into play there is by discovering if any of your modules is phoning home or or doing any of that. And maybe thinking about it now, maybe that's where uh, AI or machine learning will come into play eventually. Oh, detecting something that the human the human being hasn't. Yeah, you got an I/O module that normally talks to PLC A, and it, it's been doing this for a month, and all of a sudden it's trying to go to PLC B, or maybe it's trying to reach out to some website, or it's it's trying to communicate back to a, a workstation over ports that it doesn't uh, normally do, or even better, uh, uh, if you look at the communication between the the remote I/O and your PLC, they've been sharing this particular command uh, code for months and months, and all of a sudden you see a different command code. So that that stands out. So you're also Nominated. monitoring. Uh, monitoring yep. is, an area, you know, I don't know if it's still emerging, but I mean, I, I know from you know 2012 and something I was involved with. It was certainly early then. You know, it's it's now becoming more complex. Our annual survey is showing all the high reporting or high maturity reporting uh, survey takers say absolutely we're monitoring and we're planning more monitoring. So that's an area yep. too where yep. where someone can get savvier about how all that how the monitoring works. Uh, there's going to be a lot more to be still to be done there, right? Absolutely, and 
I, I think there's a lot of really good companies out there that do the security monitoring just fine already. Like I, I'm mentioning Clarity, Forescout, Armis. They have a really good engine to look at these particular devices and, and to find anomalies. I think where the where the trick is going to be is in architecture because because you have a PLC and and a and a or two PLCs or a PLC and HMI, a PLC and an I/O module. When they communicate to each other, if you don't see the packets between the two, then you can't monitor either. So you, I think your architecture needs to be engineered in such a way that you can get to every single packet out there and you can inspect every single packet out there. And and that's going to be, I, I think that's going to be the next big step if you want to be able to to monitor everything. You know, you want to see everything as well. So uh, I think architecture is is going is remaining is going to be a, a great point of, of interest in this in this area. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I want to go back just and talk about the book from a different perspective. There's people out there in our industry, uh, they're probably not our entry level folks, but our, our more senior folks, some of your peers that have, have books in their head, at least books they'd like to write. Could you talk a little bit about the process and the commitment to do this? Because I think it, people are, and rightfully so, maybe scared of like, oh, man, what a what a big task. You know, what was your process and what would you recommend to people who've got a book, quote unquote, in their head? This book particular date was built around the demand. So Peck Publishing came out and they said, we want to we want to do a second edition. And I'm like, okay, let me think about what that's going to look like and what should be in the book. And if you if you look at the chapters or, or I think it's part two, it's part three, thread hunting. I had thread hunting in mind because I think thread hunting is something that that any company that hasn't thought about cybersecurity since they built their ICS should think about, right? Just because threat hunting will go out and it will find intruders, compromise malware in your environment without the, without these threats actually hitting like a detection engine. So if your your antivirus if your antivirus all of a sudden picks up malware, that is a detection. But threat hunting goes around and it says, okay, let's let's consider your compromise and let's go look for indicators of compromise without being actually pointed to them by an antivirus or an EDR, XDR, whatever you call them. You just go out and, and you make a hypothesis that says, okay, somebody has installed malware on one of my systems. You go out and you look for as much information that could either support or contradict that, that statement. So that's threat hunting. That's what I wanted to, the, this book to be based around. And yeah, that's, that's section three, your book, it starts around page 394, and there's a lot. I see that it's yep. quite a few pages, yeah. and all, all the way to 568 is dedicated to that. Yep, that was, my ultimate, that was my ultimate goal. So now that I knew that I wanted to write that, that's what I started with. And as I'm writing that, uh, I'm uh, explaining stuff like security monitoring. Okay, so now I got to go back and write a, now I got to write a, a section or a chapter on security monitoring. As I'm writing security monitoring, I'm thinking, huh, I got to talk about choke points. As I'm talking about choke points, I'm like, I got thinking, okay, I got now I have to explain how you you have to do your infrastructure to have choke points built in from from the architecture up, right? So that's that's how this book came to existence, which is a little cumbersome, and that's probably why it's it's longer than it probably should have been. But that's how I approach this. For people who have an idea of what they want to do with their book, I suggest start writing your your thoughts down. Start so start with like a, your ideas, your uh, your bullet points. Start penciling those out and and start adding it into it and and getting all of this together, getting all of this on paper first, and then and then later on gluing it together with some additional uh, commentary around it is how you can get a book 
without actually having a book deal up front. Does that make sense? Yeah. I started doing the same with, with, with pen testing efforts. So if I'm doing interesting stuff, I just write up uh, some bullet points of what I want to achieve, how I got there. And then after that, after I've successfully done the pen test or the, or the activity, I'll go back and redo it and, and make uh, screenshots and copy text and, and commands. And then after that, if at some point, if I want to turn this into a book, I'll start adding some of the, uh, the documentary or the, the, the commentary around it. Okay, so before we we, we 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 jump off of that, how challenging was it if you had to, to summarize the experience? Because that's what people you, you worked the whole time. It's not like it's not like you took off time for a year and wrote a book, right? Uh, so at, at the first and the second book were written across probably four or five continents. So I I had to write books. I had to meet deadlines. Whether I was on vacation, whether I was on a business trip, whether I was sick or not, I had to I had to make these deadlines. So it took me about a year for these thousand pages. A lot of times I didn't want to write it. At the end of it, I was sick and tired of it. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's it, it's difficult, but it's really rewarding. I I'm still getting feedback on LinkedIn from people who, who read one or two books and are just really happy about it. And that, that that puts a smile on my face. I got I can honestly tell you it it didn't make me rich to write to write these books, right? There's just not enough. It's not a twilight saga that I wrote. So I'm not going to be a millionaire of them. But just knowing that people enjoy and, and, and have value out of them is just really rewarding for me. But it, it's been a tough one. It, it, uh, both books were really hard to write. It's a lot of work. I, I spent countless hours, uh, nights, weekends uh, writing them. Yeah. So uh, is it true you were considering calling it 50 Shades of OT Cybersecurity? <laughs> no, that, that's, not, that's never been confirmed. <laughs> So what, you know, as we sort of wind up some more time together here, what, what are you excited about for you for the future and, and for the future for our, our industry? I'm excited about the, the renewed attention to cybersecurity in, in, the, in the industrial space. So recent breaches, recent events have really put some more attention and, and resources and light on, on the struggles we've been having for the last 20, 30 years implementing industrial cybersecurity. I call what happened around in Destroyer 2, right? The, the whole detection and uh, remediation and the efforts around that, I call it a huge success because people were on top of it. They discovered it really quickly. From what I understand, uh, official official word is that the malware wasn't really deployed uh, in, in real life. So they, they caught the malware before it could do any damage. And it was, an, it was a, a, like a combined effort from uh, several large companies to get, to get the, uh, the, uh, the research and the, the analysis done and to get detection rules out and, and just to make everybody aware of this is out here. I call it a big win. When In Destroyer 1 came out, there was a different story. You know, I think then another question that, that I, I think I know how you're going to answer it, there's lots of, of opportunity ahead. Meaning if someone's looking at this space from a professional standpoint, it, it is reaching an exciting stage and we're not, I don't know how you want to measure it, we're not close to the destination of like, okay, we solved those problems. There's lots of work for lots of people ahead. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to, to put it mildly, I think every ICS owner, every industrial company out there needs to be at the end of book number two that I wrote before we can call this secure or even close to secure, right? You need, to, you need to have a nice program, a good working program in place and, uh, and the measures to, to monitor 
that program as well. And there's gonna be people. There's, there's gonna be, we're gonna need lots and lots of people to help with that. And ideally a, a combination of pure OT folks, industrial controls engineers, all the way to the other side, pure IT engineers and security folks and anything in between. And, and they need to be in, in, a, in a collaborative team working towards a common goal. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you uh, more. And lot, yeah, lots of exciting, exciting work and engaging work for uh, for people to sink their teeth into ahead. Well, Pascal, this comes to my my favorite part of uh, of the show, where I borrow something from another show, and they borrowed it from another show. I think this goes <laughs> could be it goes back decades, maybe more than fifty years. I don't know, but I always like this show called Inside the Actor's Studio. And I think it, it might still be out, but the longtime host James Lipton had passed away in recent years, and uh, he interviewed all these famous actors and actresses for many decades, and he always ended the show with what he called, which with, with, with what is called the Pivot Questionnaire, which he borrowed from a French show uh, before that. So I have adopted it and uh, sort of <laughs> my hat to those shows, and I'm using it word for word exactly the way uh, the way they did. So if you're ready, I'll, I'll we'll end with the ten uh, the ten questions. All right, go for it. What is your favorite word? Exploit. What is your least favorite word? Failure. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? New things, learning new things. What turns you off? Repetitive boredom. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> Godverdomme. That's, that's a new one. That's, that's Dutch for, uh, well, yeah, you could probably figure that one out. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? I, believe it or not, I love the sound of a, 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 a modem, a back, a, a, the old dial-up modem. People hated it, but it just brings back memories. What sound or noise do you hate? People running their nails on, on a chalkboard. It just drives me absolutely nuts. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? That's a good one. Uh, maybe Maybe a podcast host. What you seem to be very happy. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. Uh, yes. What profession would you like to not do? Sales. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you've got root. Thank you, Pascal Ackerman, industrial cybersecurity expert and author and, and prolific uh, contributor to our community. Thank you for, for everything that you do. And thanks for coming on the, uh, the show and being a speaker for us in some of our live events and being a being a supporter of our workforce work so thank you for all that pascal and stay safe and uh, be well hopefully we'll uh, talk again soon my pleasure and thank you for having me